1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Back in 1938, you remember that well, I'm sure, H.G. Wells produced a radio broadcast called The War of the Worlds. We're used to reality TV today. That would have been reality radio. What he did was he had a broadcast interrupting the Sunday night primetime radio broadcast, which was big time. All the families on Sunday night in that day and age would gather around the, the radio set in their home and listen. And he interrupted the usual broadcast with what was a fictitious account of the invasion of Earth by Martians and the ensuing battle, which was not going well and was bringing mass destruction to New York and New England and then uh, perceivably to the whole world. Everybody listened rivetly, with riveted attention to that. Many did not hear the opening introduction that this was a fictitious narrative. They thought they were hearing real news broadcast. Panic set in. Some in great panic took their own lives for fear that we were going to be destroyed by the world invasion of Martians. The War of the Worlds was historic broadcasting. Now we do not have to fear Martians or any other worlds invading us or fighting us. But we do, as believers, have another war that is real. It's reality warfare that we are in as Christians, though it is invisible. Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 10 and following, Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We're not fighting and killing human beings for the cause of Christ. No, that's not our strategy. Rather, we are fighting spiritual forces that we cannot see that are in the heavenlies. The devil and his minions uh, fighting against God and God's people. That is our war. Actually, we have three enemies in the Bible. The Christian has three enemies. You know what these are, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We will see all three of those in the passage that we are at in 1 John chapter 2. The world, the flesh, and the devil. This morning, it's the world that's our focus. As you noticed in the reading, or highlighted in the note sheet, the word world is found six times in these three verses. It's about the world and the Christian's war or struggle or battle against the forces of this fallen world. And of course, we want to be victorious. Do we not, friends? The last phrase of verse 14 that we looked at last week, one of the characteristics of the mature, strong, growing believers characterized as young men, they overcome the evil one. We're not losers. We're not defeated. We're on the winning side as Christian soldiers. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean that every day is as victorious as it should be. It doesn't mean we have setbacks or we, we sometimes stumble. But overall, consistently, in Christ, we are more than overcomers through him who loved us. And this passage, verses 15 to 17, is going to give us four key truths on how we can have that victory 
over this present world in which we live and which we fight against for Christ. Notice statement number one is a command that's a negative command. So if it's a negative command, we call that a prohibition. It's something you want to avoid, right? Now, before we look at it, I've got a true or false question for you. Boys and girls, you can answer this too. True or false? All love is good love. True. False. Okay, we got some true, we got some false. All love is good love. Hmm, let's see. Jesus said we should love one another. Jesus said the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I guess as Christians, we should love everybody, everything, right? Well, we don't love the devil, right? We don't love our sin. We shouldn't. And here, John, of all people, the apostle of love, makes this startling two-word statement to open verse, or three words, open verse 15, do not love. What? Christians are not supposed to love? At least everything, all the time. Let's finish the statement. Do not love the world or the things in the world. So now we have a command, very similar to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal or kill or bear false witness or, or any of the Ten Commandments. God says, here's some things I want my people to not do for their good and for my glory. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now let me ask you, how many of you have a car? Oh, I guess that's how you got here. Uh, how many of you have air conditioning at home? You're in Florida, you better, you're, uh, you're, you're hurting. How many of you love your air conditioning? I'm gonna say, you know, I'm pretty partial to that air conditioning unit. You know, don't take that away from me. You can take some other things, but I need the air conditioning. Hey, boys and girls, here's my question for you. What do you want for Christmas? It's getting closer, you know. It's only six and a half months. What do you want for Christmas? I don't know. Brayden, what do you want for Chris Christmas? A dirt bike. All right, Titus. Also a dirt bike. <laughs> oh, great. That sounds good. Like, I like that. <laughs> Judah, what do you want? Are they, are, uh, toy. Toys. Toys. Toys, yeah. Cover it off. Things, right? <laughs> Notice they didn't say that I want world peace. <laughs> I want love to spread the community. You know, I want guns to go away. No. Uh, our kids and us big kids, we have our things. We like our things. Are you expecting any wedding presents that might be things? <laughs> Maybe three toasters and a couple microwaves? Yeah, uh, or are you sending out no gifts at our wedding? Sorry, we're bringing them anyway. We're going <laughs> to shower you with love gifts that are things. You know, we all have things. We need things, right? God creates things. First in Indicts, God freely gives us richly all things to enjoy. So we're not going to be guilted over this verse that says, do not love things, as if he's saying, you know, you, you should be a pauper, you should be a, a homeless hobo who has nothing but the clothes on your back if you're really going to be spiritual. But he is telling us, do not love the world and the things of the world. So we need to just do a little work here, study and think this through. What is God really saying and meaning when he says, do not love the world and things? 
Well, let's think of the word love. Let's define that according to the Bible. It's not the, the ooey-gooey feeling that the world often thinks of love, or it's not necessarily romantic uh, uh, love. That's, that's in the scripture, and that's a part of, of love. But the word for love that we all know, agape, have we all heard that? You want to say that with me? Agape, it is the greatest love because it's the love that describes God. And therefore us, we're the recipients of that love. And now we distribute and we display that same agape love. That's the word used here in a verbal form. And it's a word that means quite simply to sacrifice yourself. That's what biblical love is. It's not an emotion, although it may have emotional consequences. But if you love biblically, it simply means you're giving yourself. Well, you know that from John 3.16. You want to say that verse with me, folks? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world, he did what? Gave or Galatians 2.20, where Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, now listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. Love, biblically, is giving yourself. What God did for us, we do when we love with that same God love, agape. So when he says here, do not love the world or the things of the world, he's saying, do not give yourself. Do not sacrifice yourself for things, for this passing worldly life. No, give yourself, as Jesus commanded, self-sacrifice yourself from the heart with time and affection and energy and thought to your God first and to your neighbor as yourself. We love people, not things. We, we like our air conditioning. I sure do. But I would never love for, I would not give my life or sacrifice myself for an object. But I will for you, for others, for my God. Love not the world or the things in the world. Now let's, just, let's look at this other key word, the key word of the whole passage, world. Six times John uses it. Hey, let me throw this stat out to you. You'll find this word, which is the Greek word, cosmos. We're familiar with that. The Greek word cosmos, for world, is found 185 times in the New Testament. So it's a big concept. We need to understand what God means by that. 105 times John uses it in his gospel and in his epistles. And right here we see he's using it a lot in three verses. The word cosmos does not mean the planet Earth. He's not saying here, don't love, you know, that golden sunrise or that glorious sunset. Don't love the majestic mountains that God has created for our, our beautiful interest. Don't, don't love that majestic, awesome seashore seeing the the seemingly infinite waterway that God spoke into existence. Of course, we love nature. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We, we love his creation. He's not talking about don't love the planet that I've created for you to live on. No. 
Neither is he meaning by the word world the people that populate the planet. Like, don't love the world population. That, that's not what he means. Because remember John 3.16? God so loved the world. Not, not the mountains, the trees, the animals. God loved the people that he gave his only begotten son. So when cosmos is used sometimes for earth or sometimes for the world population, but here's where it's primarily used, more times than not in the New Testament, to describe a, a system of life, to describe an organized um, lifestyle or worldview that is in opposition to God. It has a system of values and goals and philosophy that is just contrary to God and his word. That world is under the influence of our enemy. Boys and girls, who's our enemy? Satan. Satan. Good. Jesus called him the ruler of this world in John 12, 31. God, who is the ruler of all, he's the king supreme, has allowed for his wise purposes, his enemy, to have some rule and reign on this earth for time. And that is under the sovereign control of God, but is still, he is the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. And he is working evil in opposition to God in a world system that is very organized. Cosmos is the root word from which we get cosmetics. Cosmetics, ladies know, well, I guess everybody with cosmetic surgery available today, it's the orderly arrangement of how we present ourselves, how we look. An orderly arrangement in this world that is quite intentional and organized to oppose and try and thwart God and his gospel. And that is what the apostle says, brothers and sisters, you live in this fallen world system, but don't you dare have any desire or affection or sacrifice for it. And he'll give us a reason in a moment why. This world system appeals to us tempts us every day. We live in it. We fight the many voices that scream out for our attention, our affection. The voice of hedonism, the philosophy that says what? Eat, drink, and be merry. If we're dying tomorrow or soon, so just live it up for pleasure. That's hedonism. Living for pleasure makes a meaningful life. Or the voice of materialism. You know, the, the, the guy with the most toys wins. That's the philosophy of life that you got to get all you can and then can all you get so you don't lose it. Hoard and get rich and your economic status in life determines how people view you and how special you are. So get more, buy more. Madison Avenue with their appeals to, uh, to us, you know, you won't be happy unless you have my product. Or you or your marriage or your family will be complete once you sign on the line and order this and get the new state-of-the-art thing. Your old one is passe, even though you just bought it last month. Get the new, better, blitzier, blitzier thing. Materialism screams out for our hearts. Emotionalism. How about this one? If it feels good, do it, right? Go with your feelings. 
you know, how does it make you feel? Don't don't think. We don't ask the question, what do you think about this? Or what's right or wrong? How do you feel? Very feeling-oriented world in which we live. Relativism, that part of our world culture which says there is no absolute truth, right? What's true for you is okay for you. What's true for me is okay for me. It might be different. It might be contradictory. But that's okay. No absolutes. Just do whatever you think is right. What does the Bible say about that? Back in the book of Judges. It was a day where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And history is repeating itself in our 21st century culture. And so there's no absolute about marriage. Marriage can be whatever you want it to be. Define it how you like it. Uh, your gender, your sexuality. Hey, everybody just go with what your gut tells you is good for you. Uh, and so many of the former foundational truths of life are being questioned and, and denied through a relativism that says no truth, no absolute. And if that's the case, then tolerance. Right? We can't judge and say anything is wrong or right. We tolerate everything and anything because it's your world and my world to de be defined as, as we decide. And here God's telling us with loving warning, brothers and sisters, do not let your heart be swept up with any room for this world system and all the things that, that it offers you. Statement number two. I'm going to move a little quicker than the first statement. Statement number two gives us an evaluation of this love. Goodbye, Alexis. We'll be praying. Take care. If anyone, that's pretty comprehensive, right? No exceptions. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. That's a conclusion that the Apostle, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle says you can, you can count on. Love of the world rules out love of the Father in that person. In other words, it's a mutually exclusive thing. You can't have part of your heart over here loving the God things, and then the other part of our hearts over here loving the world things that we grow enamored with. Jesus said, no man can serve how many masters? Two. Two. can't serve two, three or four, right? No man can serve two masters. Because one. Just one. And who is the one master? God. Lord Jesus. He's the master. Jesus said, you'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't do it with, with a split heart love and affection. Here's the text. Uh, it, this isn't in your notes, but I'll... Uh, and it for free. Galatians 5.17 says, uh, Galatians 5.17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There is this opposition, this battle. My flesh wants things. Because the world says, oh, you need these things. You should have these things. You deserve these things. But my spirit says, I love God. I want to please God. I want the things of God. I want to glorify God and fulfill the mission of God. And, and those can be button heads and battling against each other in this war of the world. So, folks, can we 
guard our heart this morning just by this simple statement do not love the world or things of the world just remind ourselves how we need to be on constant vigilant guard it's a danger to our soul what's going on in the world around us Paul said this near the end of his ministry 2 Timothy 4.10 Demas one of his core team partners like, like we know what that's like a core team is crucial we're we're close. We need each other. It's all teamwork. Demas has forsaken me because he loved this present world. How sad. A partner in ministry departed the faith, deserted the ministry because his heart just couldn't let go of his, his favorite things in this world. Don't know what they were. They obviously, it wasn't a new car he wanted or a big mansion. Just something in his comfort zone, something in his heart that he was enamored with, and it pulled him away from serving the Lord. And of course, we probably all know somebody who's either deserted the ministry or departed the faith because of wanting wealth or fame or position or something that they just didn't think was going to happen if they were going to follow in the steps of faithful ministry that can happen to any one of us the, the devil can trip us up through materialism through love of money through hedonism statement statement number three verse 16 for all that is in the world and now he's going to give us a description he's going to help us define world worldliness all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life it's not from the Father. It's from the world. So how do we define worldliness? Some of you are asking, what does it mean to be worldly? Well, some would say, if you have a really super big mansion, if you have a brand new luxury car, if you're wearing flashy clothes, our Amish friends would say, if you're wearing colorful clothes, that's worldly. So they're just dressing in black and white. We've seen the Amish separate from worldliness with their their strict dress code and some would say no electricity or no gas powered engines that's worldly different cultures define worldliness with different activities modern styles contemporary things that are just judged to be worldly I had a professor in the seminary years years ago back when the dinosaurs were over here he said that there were people in the day who said it was worldly to have white wall tires some of you probably too young don't know that. But that was kind of neat to have a white stripe around your tire rather than just a plain black tire. Well, if that was worldly, then you know what some folks did. They would have that tire mounted inside out so the white wouldn't show. It would be on the inside. So I don't want my neighbors to think I'm one of those worldly. <laughs> you know, we, we chuckle at that. But there are probably people today who are defining worldliness with ways that we would say, what? Or someday we'll look back and say, well, well, that was pretty conservative or strict, but not really a biblical standard for worldliness. Just our subjective, best guess opinions at worldliness. Hey, we don't have to guess. Right here, God says, you know what I think is worldly? Here it is. Three things. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eye, pride of life. That's all that's in the world. It's in this category. Desire from your fallen human nature. That's what flesh means here. 
doesn't mean your body. Your body isn't evil. God created our bodies. And food and drink and air and, and clothing and housing, that's all needs. So desiring those things is, is not worldly. But the flesh, that fallen, sinful nature that still resides in there, even after we accept Christ and we have a, his new nature in that old nature still has desires and appetites. Then there's desires of the eye. Is that how it first started in the garden? When Eve saw that that forbidden fruit was good, she looked at it. Probably looked at it long and hard. Looked at it all angles. She didn't touch it yet, but just looking, looking, looking. But you know, you look at something long enough, you long for it, you're going to reach out and do what she did. She'll take it. We look and we look. We go into the store or the mall just to look around. We're not going to shop for anything. We walk out spending who knows how many thousands of dollars on something. Oh, I didn't know I needed that until that advertisement convinced me I can't live without it. It's the eye gate that Satan can use to stir desire, which can become greed or covetousness desires of the eye, and then the pride of life. Why do we want what we want many times? Because it's good for me. It'll make me look good. Others will notice me. Uh, it will get me on a higher rung in the ladder of life if I have this, or if I accomplish this, or if I get this promotion or this position. And it's the pride in our human life that makes us worldly when we operate and are governed by that motivation. So it's interesting. God doesn't say, here's a list of things that are worldly. You know, don't go to casinos. Don't go to, to taverns. Don't go to all these, you know, seedy places. That Those are all world. That's all worldly. No, he doesn't say the place or the activity. He just says, what's going on in your heart? What do you want? Uh, how bad do you want it? Why do you want it? It's the desires of our heart that determines whether something is worldly. So let's just let's just do a practice run. Your television set, is that worldly to have a TV? Is a TV a worldly thing? Don't answer out loud because some might say yes, some might say no. Well, you know, the truth is, it could be. Doesn't have to be, but it could be. Same could be said about a new car. Same could be said about, uh, you know, a uh, dirt bike or toys. They can be or they might not be worldly. It depends upon why you want it. How bad do you want it? Uh, do you want it bad enough that you would sin to get it? Mm, I think we crossed the line there with our desires. Do you want it bad enough that if you don't get it, you'll sin? Mm, cross the line there, too. So anything, whether it's a, a, a new car, a job, uh, certain music, money, sex, food, all of these can be desired in a way that honor God. And then again, those desires can degenerate. They can come from fleshly motivation, through greed or covetousness, for proud purposes. And now we have just crossed the line, and we have worldly Heart, which at that point is not loving the Father, it's loving self. And then concluding, 
We need some good news, don't we? So warning against the bad world in which we live. Here's the good news. The last statement, statement number four, verse 17. The world is passing away and all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is already judged. Jesus said this in John 16, 11. The ruler of this world is judged. So it's determined. God has already determined and at the cross, Jesus nailed it, literally, figuratively. The defeat of the devil and his world system, it's down in the books, count on it. It's as good as accomplished. But it hasn't been fully actualized, and it won't until the end. And my time is gone, so I'm just going to really exhort you to look up these two texts in your notes. Daniel 2, actually three texts. Daniel 2 and chapter 7, the coming kingdom that will put and replace this world and all of its kingdoms. And Revelation 11:15, the hallelujah, part of the hallelujah chorus. Here comes the king. King Jesus will rule this world where the devil has now ruled in evil ways. He will rule in righteousness and holiness and glory and peace forever. This world is on its way out, folks. Isn't that a good, good thought? I don't have to fight the temptations of my heart for much longer. Just fight today, friend. Just say no to the devil and whatever temptation he's throwing your way to get you to, to, to go into that selfish zone, that sinful decision. Say no one more day. And it might be the last time you ever have to say no because Jesus is coming. And when he comes, all of the flesh and its desires will be gone. We will receive our new glorified body with no flesh, no temptation, we will live in a perfect world, no temptations, no voices screaming for us to, to steer our affection away from God. We will have no devil to tempt us. The, the threefold enemy will be gone. So the good news is this unsinkable world, this Titanic, as the, the people of the world think, you know, we're here to stay, it's going down. The Titanic is sinking. So let's not invest in furniture. Let's not buy the things on the Titanic or rearrange the furniture on the Titanic. This world is going down. We don't need to fall in love with its things, its ways. We don't need it. We don't want it. There's no reason. We have the love of the Father, and we want with hearts of love for the Father to do His will, obeying His mission for our life, living as Christ, with Christ, for Christ, like Christ, until Jesus comes. So our concluding life lessons, we're in the world, let's not be of it. That's how Jesus prayed for us in John 17. We have things. God's blessed us with many things. We are rich people. Uh, quick survey. How many of you have $1,000 in your pocket this morning? Well, if you have a smartphone, they're running around $1,000. So little do we think of it that here in America, we are so rich, we run around with things in our pockets that the rest of the world will never know that amount of money. We're rich people. So we use our things as tools for ministry to reach people with the gospel, to build up people in Christ. And we fight always to keep our heart affections for our God. He is worthy of our love, our, our agape. No thing competes with Jesus. He is the worthy one. 
Well, Pastor Josh, are you going to come at this point and lead us in our last song? When he does, we'll sing with hearts of love for the Lord and say, God, help us to fight the war of the world as we live in this world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us Jesus out of love. Thank you for giving us uh, a heart full of love that we can return to you and show that love to others. Even the unlovely, the unloving people in our world, uh, the enemies of God, and maybe even our personal enemies. God, we love our enemies with gospel love for you to reach and save so they can join us in that kingdom which will last forever. They will leave the sinking ship of this world that's crashing and burning, and they'll be able to say, He who does the will of God abides forever. Lord, may it be so. We pray in your name. Amen. Pastor John.